am I being heard right now? Noah Hine, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. You are the host of the Block Party podcast. You're also a writer yourself. That's kind of how you and I got to know each other. I think we were both tweeting and doing general dev content, and we both saw that you know we had similar goals in terms of the types of jobs we were looking for and the types of you know career transition we were doing. So it's been really great to, to get to know you and get to chat with you. And we haven't really talked about blockchain at all on this show and so that'll be really fun but before we get into any of that i'd love to just get your background how you got into coding and like what your first kind of experiences with coding were like yeah sure glad to be on here talking about the blockchain and really fortunate to have met you through this wonderful community and i got into this community through coding and through coding was i suppose a little bit more traditional than some but less traditional than others after graduating high school i took a little bit of time for myself and then went back to college for computer science and then through that kind of journey of about two years of that um, i quickly learned that the kind of job market was not lining up with with you know, what I was learning, the skills that I was going to be putting on my resume were not the bullet points in the job descriptions. And so at that point, I dropped out from doing that and just really started teaching myself full-time doing YouTube, Google, the whole nine yards. And that's kind of where I suppose I met you was in my learning journey. I was like, okay, you know, I don't know about this whole Twitter thing, but you know, it seems that web development has kind of chosen Twitter as the platform. So I guess I'm on Twitter now. And that's that's been my journey thus far, seeing everyone in the space and using Twitter as kind of the resource to meet all these crazy people. That's awesome. And you said you started doing kind of web stuff, but now you're more in the blockchain area. So I'd be curious how that transition happened, how far you got into web dev, if you kind of see them as being compatible or if you felt you've like done a pivot, like how do you think about that? When I was doing my traditional kind of web development, uh, you had mentioned that we kind of have writing in common. So I, I was doing the whole learning in public, writing about all of the things that I was doing. And I saw, you know, if I was going to write a React post, you know, that there was going to be like 50 other ones. Um, and I just kind of had a inkling in the back of my head that blockchains were interesting and cryptocurrencies were, were a little interesting. And so I started doing more research into that and quickly realized that there was really nothing out there that was going to be useful to me. You know, there's plenty of white papers and all of the math behind it if you have a PhD and care to do the digging through the actual documents for all of the researchers papers that are being printed out, you can do that. But there was nothing really accessible to me. And so I, I quickly realized that that could kind of be a way to expose myself to a lot more people because a lot more people would be interested if I had something to say, if I was the only person talking about that subject. And that's kind of how I realized it's like, okay, this is a spotlight. I can get more people and employers looking at this content that I'm writing and I will just kind of feel better whenever I'm providing value to more of those people. And a lot of my web development skills have certainly kind of transferred over, at least in my opinion. You know, if you were a traditional web developer, the steps to becoming like a DAP, a decentralized app developer, is really only substituting out a, a few key points here and there. But I think most skills transfer and I'm glad to have had the kind of web fundamentals going into this space. And I totally agree with you. I went down the rabbit hole of crypto 
long before I even got into web dev myself, and it was very hard to, to grok and to get into because, like you say, there's tons of white papers, there's tons of very dense mathematical content around it, but there's not many, like, simple tutorials that you can just follow along with, which is a lot what you've been writing, which is really cool. We'll, we'll get into that, but first let's set some context since we haven't really talked much about blockchain. Why don't you just kind of define some terms like you've already said, DAP, decentralized apps. Why don't we talk about what that is? We should probably also define blockchain in general as well. This is something that I struggle with quite heavily because of all of the things that are going around currently about what it is and what it isn't, the technical definitions versus something that someone else is going to understand. I would say if you have a traditional web development background, you probably understand a little bit about data structures, maybe not too much. I know that's also a hot topic on whether or not you should or should not know those things. But I would say most people kind of know what a linked list is. If I say linked list, you have a kind of representation of your head. And I think of a blockchain as being a a cryptographically hashed linked list that is distributed across many different nodes. And all of these nodes are run on a person's computer or multiple computers or servers as kind of like a distributed computer. It's a very clean definition. Why does it need to be a linked list? Linked lists kind of have certain properties or blockchains use certain properties that linked lists have rather effectively. I like that definition I just gave because blockchains aren't anything new at all. Really, like it is all technologies that we have had for a while and just kind of stitched together in a way that provides certain properties. And for the linked lists, it allows us to have a continuous chain of all of this data that is immutable because if someone wanted to have a new blockchain and they wanted to change out some data that was in the middle, you know, we have chain one, two, three and they want to change block two, they're going to have to go through the entire process. And that's where the cryptography comes in, that all of the computing process that it took to get from one all the way up to three, if they want to change anything in between. Um, and so having that linked list where everything is connected to the thing that was before it is connected to the thing that was before it is connected to the thing that's before it is a really nice security property to have in the blockchain. And then most people who have heard about all this stuff will say, okay, I've heard of Bitcoin and how Bitcoin has to do with blockchain and Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. So where does cryptocurrency come into the story? Cryptocurrencies are interesting in the sense that they're tokens that we are able to store within, we're talking each individual block. It's a chain of blocks as a blockchain. Each individual block will have transactions in it. And these transactions can have tokens. And these tokens are what you traditionally think of whenever you think of a cryptocurrency is a token that is native to whatever blockchain that it is representing. So in the case of Bitcoin, it is the actual Bitcoin blockchain is what that token represents. I consider myself to be a smart person, but cryptocurrency and blockchain, I just don't understand it. I understand it, but then I truly don't think I understand it, if that makes sense. What's the use? Like, and this sounds like such a stupid question. Is like, everybody's like, you know, get all your coins. And I'm just like, what's wrong with the dollar? What's wrong with the pound? Yeah, they're not perfect, but I can still buy everything through them. And it's like, yeah, but we want a currency for the internet. It's like, the internet already has its currencies and everybody has them. 
Yeah, sure. So I think you're seeing, because of this being such a new technology that's kind of changing how, or at least in my opinion, will be changing how things are conducted into the future. We have this very one-to-one comparison currently. And you see this if you're going back looking at history, whenever we transitioned from the printing press to like kind of the internet, you know, we had books and newspapers. And then whenever the internet came along, we started copying one-to-one said, okay, this is, I get the New York, whatever edition, New York Times at my door every morning. So now on the internet, I have the New York Times. And people said at that point too, it was like, well, what is the point of a web page? I already have the paper in my hand. What is what is the point of this? So right now you're seeing a lot of in cryptocurrencies just kind of seeing that one-to-one comparison on like, okay, this is what we had before. And so we're just going to copy what we had before onto this new thing. But you can also kind of see from the web, we took that and we started building up. And right now we're very much in that process of the blockchain where things are just building up currently. I think that's why it will be useful is there are certain things that you can do with that that you can't in the analog world. But to really answer the question is what is the point of it currently? There are a couple different things. The number one for me is that it's permissionless. I know this is kind of like a buzzword in the space, but it essentially means you don't have to have anyone else kind of okay the transaction. I'll use an example that came to me recently in life. About a week ago, I had a client come to me that wants some blockchain consultancy on his project. And he sent me a wire transfer for like, I was like, okay, we agreed on the money. He sent me a wire transfer. He lives in Canada. It took me, I believe, nine days from whenever he told me that he sent the transfer to me having money in my bank account. And all of that was due to needing permission from his bank, the Canadian bank. He sent the money and the Canadian bank said, okay, we have your money and we're going to go send it over to this American bank. And then my American bank was like, whoa, you're getting money from Canada. You've never gotten money from Canada before. This is kind of weird. We need to check all of this out. And that took a little bit. And then it was the weekend and people weren't working over the weekend to look at my transfer. And then whenever all of that was done, I then got my money and then... He just wanted me to start work before that. So he just sent me some crypto. That took maybe whatever the current hash rate is. I think it's like nine minutes or something like that on Ethereum. It took me nine minutes to get my money. And no one had to question whether or not that that was okay to do on either end. Our listeners can't obviously see my face, but I'm blinking like... It sounds like you guys need to upgrade your banking system in the good old US of A. Because in... Britannia, the United Kingdom, land of the Brexit. We have pretty modern banking that can do bank transfers in like three seconds and have money in your account in like three seconds. Even outside the country though, if you're doing a transaction outside the country? Yeah, like no problemo. (laughs) There's fees though, right? There is fees, of course. Because you also take the fees out of the equation as well with blockchain. I'm not necessarily talking about the fees, but in terms of speed... We don't have bad, bad banking. Like I hear about banking. Every time I hear about banking in the US, I just think that every town has its own bank. There's probably a Wells Fargo or something like that. And it has a fax machine where all the money bills come in through. Banking seems ancient in America to me. I could also agree with that, but I think that really illustrates and showcases my point here. Yeah, maybe you have the infrastructure for it, but not everyone else does. And so blockchain for me is really inclusive of everyone in the sense that, okay, I have a wallet 
this wallet didn't cost me anything to generate. I had an internet connection and it said, okay, here is your wallet. Anyone with a mobile phone can get that essentially, and I can send the money regardless of whether or not their country has made good governmental choices and followed policy and upgraded their banking infrastructure. We can now rely on an individual person and this distributed node network that I was speaking of earlier. We can trust that. And that can be the thing that facilitates all of these transactions. We don't have to be like, okay, well, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get to vote on whatever happened in UK Parliament that got y'all this wonderful banking system that y'all have. Instead, I don't have access to that. And I live in America where we have these archaic banking systems and everything is, you know, kind of a bespoke technology from bank to bank to bank. There's not that standardization. And that's really what this cryptocurrency is about, is just kind of unifying everyone in a way that no Nobody can say, no, you don't get to do that. And it also provides access to everybody in a way that just because maybe your country doesn't have great infrastructure or a nice stable currency, you can still take advantage of this global network. We're quite lucky because we have something called the Open Banking API. Technically, any bank can communicate with each other because they all speak the same language. In the UK, you can do crazy things in your smart banks, like Monzo. Like you can connect four accounts into your Monzo app and see every single up and down debt you have. But we're not talking about fiat currencies here because obviously every country has a fiat currency, but it's not the dollar. Everything goes off the dollar, surprisingly. My, my big question with cryptocurrencies, and you may be able to answer this, is I see no use for it personally as a payment until it kind of is just like the dollar or the pound and then when i did some research and watched a few videos that seems like government backed coins like internet dollar and an internet pound but i just don't get why bitcoins became this such a big thing and everyone's like it's going to be the future of payments one day you can buy a tesla with it and the next day it loses the value of a tesla there are things to be said about Bitcoin comparisons to other blockchains that have emerged since then. Bitcoin kind of sits in the number one position because it was first. They have that advantage, you know, first comers get the lion's share of the spoils and all of that. Bitcoin in my opinion, is not particularly useful for transactions. You hear it a lot of people saying that it's like kind of a store of value or that it's digital gold and you just kind of want to buy some and then let it sit there. And I'm not particularly knowledgeable about the Bitcoin specifics and whether or not it will at some point be useful for transactions. It could be at some point. But just because it's not useful for you as a transaction doesn't mean it won't be useful for someone else. And in the meantime, there's kind of like a threshold for you personally, where it would be useful for you to have, I'm going to use Ethereum for my example, for you to have Ethereum in your mind as it being a money for it to be a money to you, it needs to kind of have like a certain threshold of usage that it breaks uh, that enough people also have to be using Ethereum before you're going to use Ethereum and consider it to be useful. And that kind of threshold is lower for other people and will be higher for others. But you'll see as it kind of grows is it eventually could be this kind of currency status. But I don't think it's fair to call it that right now. A lot of people that are really pro cryptocurrencies like oh my gosh i could pay everything with crypto that would be fantastic and it's like yeah well maybe but we're, we're not there yet and i don't think it's healthy to really perpetuate that right now 
certainly in the future, but I just don't think it's quite there yet. So, so what you're saying is wait until the market cools down and then it's worth investing in. Or is it worth investing in early? I think it's worth investing in now. But, you know, as always, you know, that's just my opinion. I'm not a fiduciary consultant of any sort, and I would never tell anyone else what to do with their money. Yeah, I think if you look historically of just the prices of these different things, Bitcoin still looks like the safest investment in the sense that it's been around the longest, it's worth the most, it seems to be on a good trajectory. But as you say, we have Ethereum, which is entirely different from Bitcoin. As far as I know, the real difference you want to wrap your mind around with these two is that, as you say, Bitcoin is like a currency, whereas with Ethereum, it's more of a general purpose computing apparatus that you can actually send any sort of computation to. It doesn't necessarily have to be a transaction at all. It could be something like an image that you're saving and this is where you get things like CryptoKitties from a while ago and things like NFTs. So I would like to get your definition of how Ethereum differs from Bitcoin. One thing that I think is important to preface these discussions that a lot of people, at least in the tech community, don't really respect, in my opinion, is the societal aspect of it, especially whenever you start talking about is whether or not this is a currency or not, and whether or not it's useful to be that, and what's the actual use case. That's that's a question I get a lot is, yeah, well, okay, that's cool as a thing, but why is it useful? But socially, there is an aspect of Ethereum that is present that is not in Bitcoin, and that is that the people that founded it are still around. There's a pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto made Bitcoin. Yeah, not only are they around, we actually know who they are. Yeah, nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is, whether or not is a person, a group of people. We have no idea. He just kind of dropped it and said, there you go. I'm out of here. We never heard from him again. Whereas Ethereum was made by someone. I just know him by Vitalik. Made Ethereum. And then there is also the Ethereum Foundation, which needless to say that they don't necessarily have direct control over this because they don't, but there is at least kind of a community around them and people that govern these policies because they are kind of seen as a source of credibility. So I think that's the number one difference is that there's kind of a community around Ethereum that is having discussions on where it should go, whereas that is not necessarily the case for Bitcoin, given that it's just a bit more of a free for all. And then Ethereum has some technological differences in Bitcoin, and you spoke to it as kind of like this computing currency. And that's certainly the way that I see it, and I think is an accurate way to view it, because it has this kind of inherent utility to it. Because if we're looking at Bitcoin, it's just, it is, it's a money, it's a coin, it's a gold, whether or not you see it as a store of value, or you see it as like an actual currency that I want to spend all the time. That's really what it what it is useful for at the end of the day. Whereas Ethereum, I have different properties that I can attach to it because Ethereum is a Turing complete language. And that means that we can code these things called smart contracts. These smart contracts are just code and you can see this code and we will take Ethereum and do something with it according to this code that you wrote. And so you can have all sorts of uses and utility cases that are kind of built on top of it, whereas that's not the case for Bitcoin currently. Yeah, and I'd like to get into more of the dev aspects here. I would say, though, my vote is Nick Zabo, or Zabo, however that's pronounced. He's my vote for who, who Satoshi was. I think it was him and Hal Finney together, but that's a conversation for another time.
I just have one question before we, we jump into the developer side. If we were to speak to a five, let's say a five-year-old who doesn't know what blockchain is or anything, and we had to explain the perfect use case of blockchain technology, what would you describe? The perfect use case, no limits, perfect use case. When I was a kid, I shared my toys a lot with my other friends that lived across the street. So my neighbor said, hey, can I borrow your fire truck or whatever? So yeah, sure, you can borrow my fire truck. At that point, there's nothing really more than my word versus his word that that fire truck is mine and it belongs to him. So I would tell him, you know, if you had used a blockchain, there could be a virtual deed of this fire truck that I own and no one can take away from me. And so I can give you this fire truck. And whenever I say, hey, I would like my fire truck back. You know, you've had it for a week. It's mine at the end of the day. And I want to play with it now. And he says, oh, no, this is mine. I kind of have this digital piece of paper, as it were, that could be like, yeah, this is mine. And it says so according to the blockchain that we all use and can agree upon. And we can all agree upon it because no one else can tamper with it. So for you, it's about ownership. Yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day will be where it is most useful. But there are certainly other aspects where, you know, I'm sure my brain just hasn't gone there quite yet. Basically, if Blockbuster came 10 years later, the blockchain would be what it's used for. You can see that. Poor Blockbuster. No, but I think it's a really good question because we get so caught up with the value of the cryptocurrencies and not necessarily the blockchain. I remember two periods of this. I remember two and a half, three years ago, where everybody's like, does your company use blockchain? No, well, we're not invested in you. We only want blockchain companies. Like, give me some blockchain companies. And you're like, what do I even use the blockchain for? And now you've got the next wave that's like all about the cryptocurrencies and obviously the mass adoption that we're starting to see. So yeah, it's really interesting to, to think about. And I'm really excited to know more about the use cases of not necessarily cryptocurrency, because as we said, you know, it's just like going from trading coconuts to dollars. It's the next, potentially the next level. But what's the true uses of a blockchain and how can developers actually start using the blockchain to see significantly better value in potentially things that you do? I would also like to preface what I what I said before about ownership is there are certainly other aspects to it that you can dive into. I just use that in this example. And that's one of the reasons that I'm so, um, I'll use the trading term, why I'm so bullish on blockchain as a whole is because it's really very much in the sense of how the internet was a way to distribute information. I see blockchain as a way to distribute value and value is really whatever it needs to be for your arbitrary situation. As far as the actual development side of it, I called them smart contracts earlier. And why, going back to the very beginning, why I said my kind of web background certainly did me good as far as this is concerned. Smart contracts are just kind of the API, essentially, for something that you would call if I wrote a smart contract that said, hey, this would not be a very useful smart contract, but I'll just use it because it's an easy thing to think of in your mind. I could code a smart contract that says, okay, I'm going to take the two Ethereum that you give me as a smart contract, and I'm going to give you 10% of that back. I'll give you 2.1. 
Ethereum, and I'll just give that back to you every time that you call me. Obviously, you probably don't have the funds for that, and you wouldn't really want to make that a public thing that everybody could just call because you just run out of all of your money. But it is something that you could see, said, okay, this is very much like a function and that it takes a value, it does something to it, and then it gives it back. And that's kind of what smart contracts do. And all of these smart contracts live on this Ethereum blockchain, and anyone has access to them. Having that web background is certainly useful for you in the sense that you can kind of start to wrap your head around, okay, this is what it is. This is a use case for it. And then you can start to see how we can start creating more bespoke systems of all of these smart contracts kind of woven together in some sort of meaningful fashion that is going to do whatever thing that you think would be useful for your application to do. Great. That's kind of in the abstract how we see these sitting in terms of their value and their their use case and this debate will continue to rage on long after this podcast episode but i think that was pretty good good coverage of it i would like to take it back even further though and say i'm a developer i want to get into this whole blockchain thing not like trading and buying like i want to build something so i'd be curious let's take your tutorial series for example if i wanted to follow along with your tutorial series and I open up part one, what do I need to do to get set up? What languages do I need? What do I need installed? Do I need a, a CLI? What is the prerequisites to actually start coding and developing a blockchain application? There are a couple different things here because my tutorial is very much the blockchain itself. So if you're thinking about whether or not you want to build a blockchain for your application versus an application that uses the blockchain. You can think of those as kind of different things in the sense of if I'm using web development as the analogy, just because I'm calling a serverless function or whatever, like I am building an application that calls these APIs, I'm not always necessarily worried about what it is that is necessarily doing that. I don't necessarily care about the infrastructure. And so if you're thinking as web development, the blockchain is very much like your server or your infrastructure. And then there are these things called decentralized applications. Uh, People call them dApps. And that's what an actual application would be that is going to utilize the blockchain in some meaningful way. And I can answer either question, but I'd like your opinion on which you think people would prefer to know about. Yeah, let's start with just the blockchain itself, and then we can kind of talk about what it would actually mean to, to write like a dApp on top of an already existing blockchain, like Ethereum. Because I think what you're doing is, is really smart, because you're showing how you would build your own Ethereum up from scratch. And this is how I very much like to think about tutorials and any sort of this, this content, is you want to capture a big idea in like its smallest possible implementation. So I think you were trying to create like a hello world blockchain is kind of the, the way I saw that series. So I think that's really cool. And I like to go down that, that route. Yeah, sure. If you are just coding up like the actual blockchain, it's really just whatever tool or whatever language that you would like. I think you could do it in many different ones. The one that we're talking about for my series is in Go. Can't you do it in TypeScript? Uh, Yeah, I think if I'm really thinking about it, I don't see a limitation aside from performance as to what it actually is, because all the blockchain is, like I said, is a cryptographically hashed linked list that is then distributed via some network. 
And so you can really do that in anything. I think you will most commonly see implementations of this in Golang and Rust and like C++ and these really performant infrastructure-based languages that you see everybody building, you know, those kind of lower level infrastructure tools in because they are performant in that. And that's kind of what they were built for. But if I'm thinking about it, you know, I haven't tried to code up a blockchain in like Python, but I don't see a reason why you couldn't. Yeah, especially because with Python, you can drop down to, to C if you need to. But but like you say, it make more sense to just start with a systems language in the first place. Yeah. In my case, we're doing the hello world and you really start to think about all of these different things. It's always a very humbling experience because we, we can talk about this and I know it can gel in your head. Oh, yeah, all of that makes sense. And I understand all of that. And I say, OK, well, build me a blockchain that I can run in a CLI that prints out a blockchain and then in that blockchain there's a data that says hello world You're like well i know about that and i'm sure if i spent a bit more time looking into it i could figure it out but it's definitely a different mental model that you have to start approaching it and you start to really appreciate what all everything that goes into it and all the different technologies and so for my infrastructure you really want to start out with a block okay i'm thinking of this block um, and this block needs to have functionality where I can, you know, append another block to it. And so if you're thinking of this kind of individual block, I think of it as like a class or in Go we use structures. Your block needs to have data in it. This can be just an arbitrary whatever it is. In my case, I just use bytes, you know, whatever bytes that this is, is going to be the data. And then there is going to be a hash of this. Then there needs to point to the block before it. And so how you kind of get this list going about is this hash kind of works as like the block ID almost. But to get like I have block one, two, and three, to get block number three, we link all of these together with that security aspect that I said before is we hash the data and then the previous blocks, I'm going to use block ID, but they're hash. And then we're going to take that and the data that I want, and we're going to bundle it together. And that's going to be the new blocks ID. So you can kind of start to see, okay, we use this hashing so that it is computationally expensive or not necessarily computationally expensive, but it is not easy to replicate in the sense that I can't just come up with 10,000 hashes that are going to match these other 10,000 hashes without doing some seriously crazy computing power. I, I hope that answers the general question. I'd be happy. I'm sure you have some questions based off of that. I don't want to ramble on for too long. Yeah, no, that was really good. The first thing would be you're talking about running a single node, right? So what you would be creating would then be run on multiple nodes and then it would be a real blockchain. Yes. Gotcha. Do you find that there tends to be companies that abstract blockchain and these kinds of things better than others like for example i use magic.link as an authorization system and they're based on the blockchain and they have obviously methods of interacting with the blockchain but to me who doesn't do the blockchain what benefits does it have them using the blockchain the benefits of them using a particular blockchain for one is that they don't have to have their infrastructure. Like I can offer my services to you using the Ethereum blockchain and I can just use Ethereum. And if we're thinking of Ethereum as just kind of like this global computation network, I don't have to have an AWS bill. I don't need to spin up something of my own. I don't need to have a server farm running in the background. So I can service all of these different people and provide services to them or some sort of API that is bespoke to me. So you're saying blockchain is serverless? Uh, you know, 
for the end user, you know, I don't think they, they need to worry too much. Like if you're Chris building this application, you don't need to worry too much about what is the availability of this blockchain. Cause if the blockchain goes down, you've got much bigger problems than whatever your application is. And it's one of the reasons that we like blockchain so much in the spaces due to how secure they are and how really resistant to attack they are. They're very robust systems that are really hard to penetrate in at least traditional methods. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but you'll see in like different hacks that you'll see published online, they target these smart contracts and the smart contracts usually have some sort of bug in them as code does. And they're able to exploit that bug in some sort of way that is going to benefit them as a hacker. But rarely, if ever, do you actually see the integrity of the underlying blockchain go down. And that's due to this, the security that's just kind of inherent with how they're built. If I wanted to make, say it's ours building an application, let's take a use case. It's a simple escrow functionality. I have people who, let's say, buy cars from randomers. They buy cars from randomers. How can I trust that randomer with my money? How do I know that as soon as I hand over the money, they're not going to run away with the money? So you could say that me, the platform, would then code smart contracts into Ethereum blockchain saying... When this money is handed to this person, wait for the keys. When the keys are handed, give money to person A, right? That's a use case of like a smart contract. When person A gives money and person B gives keys, exchange them. Yeah, you you illustrated a really good point there in the use case for it and why so many people are excited because they no longer have to trust you, Chris, as the developer of this. Like right now, I have a website for a client and that is running on DigitalOcean. I'm not saying that it would happen, but there's nothing stopping DigitalOcean from just saying, you know what, Uh, I don't like you, you no longer have this. And I'm just kind of up the creek without a paddle. Well, this happened with Cloudflare. Like Cloudflare's CEO decided to shut down a specific website for political reasons. And he said at the time, I shouldn't have the ability to do this. Even though he made the decision, he said he was very uncomfortable doing it. Yeah, we're kind of at will to these middlemen because that's essentially what it is. You have this need for a server and you want to be able to do it and you don't have the ability to provide it yourself. And so you just trust that Amazon as the middleman running AWS is not going to mess with you because they said they wouldn't. And so you don't necessarily think of yourself as trusting Amazon necessarily in your head, but you're very reliant upon them. So in your use case, you know, I don't have to be reliant on you, Chris, as being like, oh, I think Chris is a really upstanding guy. And I don't think he would ever take my money before he got the keys. You know, he's just a, a great guy. They don't have to trust that. And that's why we call it trustless and permissionless is we can go look at the code that you wrote. I can be like, okay, this says what Chris says it's going to do. And because it's a program, I know it's going to do exactly that. And it doesn't have the capabilities of doing anything else. And this gets at the next question I had, which is what does it actually mean to host a blockchain? Because as you're saying, if we were just hosting on DigitalOcean, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So do you have to actually boot up your own like server and plug it in and load it up? Like how do you actually host this thing? Yeah, sure. And that gets into some of the intricacies of developing these currently, because like I said, we can all look at this smart contract because smart contracts, they are mutable in a sense, but generally speaking, they're 
kind of like a firmware almost where it's like I ship this out and because there's a bug in it, I can't really fix it. It's just kind of living there on the blockchain and that's why we trust it because we can look at it and understand that it's not going to change. I don't know, I can say, hey, look at this. And then you look away and I, I change it to be something else. And then you put your money in and poof, it went into my bank account. If you want to use the blockchain, you don't have to run your own node. You can develop it and put it out there and it's just going to run on all of these other nodes. But that's not really useful whenever you're developing something small yourself. Like I said before, in that example that I was giving in Go, where I show people how to build their own sort of blockchain, and that's just an individual node that we're talking about building. And we call these test networks or these test environments. And that's where you just run an Ethereum node. It's exactly Ethereum, but I'm just not connected to anyone else. And because I don't have the security properties of connecting to anyone else, I can kind of change the properties as I so desire. And I can run that on my computer. You can run a node on your computer if you want, and there are certainly benefits to it. And at that point, you're what's called a miner. You are helping this distributed network grow and you are compensated for it in some way. There's a lot of different methods and models that people are using to compensate the people that are actually running the network on their computers, but you don't have to. And you can, if you're a developer, you don't have to run the node. You can just run one of these little test networks that I said, and there are all sorts of little tools and different packages that these companies are doing and making little test networks that you can configure to behave in whatever way that you would like. And then you don't have to spend actual money on testing it out, the network, because Ethereum, we haven't spoke about it, but you can read anything on the blockchain for free. But if I want right access to the blockchain, I have to pay some Ethereum for that to happen. And that is what essentially keeps this all going because otherwise everyone's just running all of this electricity on their computer to run the server and they're not getting compensated for it in any way. So this gas fee, this Ethereum that I'm giving for right access to the blockchain is kind of distributed among everyone that's actually running it and allowing this thing to happen. And obviously you can imagine if I'm testing Hello World, I don't necessarily want to spend money to see if my Hello World actually wrote to the blockchain. So that's what we use these test networks for, is I can pull all of their kind of info just down onto my computer. Then I can just kind of do whatever I want with it, and I can use fake Ethereum or whatever money. I can give myself infinite money and pay myself all the gas fees that I want and develop all of the smart contracts and do all of that and know that whenever I put it on the Ethereum blockchain, it's going to work perfectly because that's what I've been developing on, but I haven't had to actually pay the real money to do that. And if there's anything that I said there that didn't necessarily make sense, please, please feel free to tug on it. No, that, that made sense. The only th- I was curious because I've never heard before that you have to pay for write access but not read access. I'm curious then, does that mean with enough computers doing reads, could you like DDoS a blockchain? No, because that's like um, my read access. Like you can see there are, if you wanted to directly read off the blockchain you would need to be running your own node and at that point you would have to spin up enough nodes that are you know individually looking at this one block and have everyone getting all these different requests but why ddos attacks really don't work is i can request this read off of a node but i uh, let's say anthony you're running a node and chris you're running a node i can't ask anthony for your node to give me this block 
and I can't ask Chris's node to give you that block. So if I just kind of ask the blockchain of Ethereum at a whole, hey, I want 10,000 requests of this one particular thing, it's going to distribute that evenly. So that's why- you... So it has load balancing built in is what you're saying. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's no way for you to really DDoS a blockchain, at least at this current point in time. And that's my knowledge of it. That might be incorrect. Most of the time, that's not what people are using reads for. They're not like building up their own node to do a read because there are several websites that just have the entire history of Ethereum and you can just use their search bar for whatever it is that you would look like. And that's just way, way easier for anyone that isn't looking to kind of break down the network for malicious purposes. My final question would be, if you was to just look at the raw Ethereum blockchain, would it be like, X bought Y, B happened to Y as like just complete random information of just things like actions that have happened, you know, a complete random like list. Yeah, sure. So like you have this linked list and these lists or each individual block has these transactions in it. It would look pretty much exactly like that in the sense that, you know, we would have this block and this block would say, hey, I point to this other block. It would have that information about it, that kind of metadata as to where it sits in the chain. But each individual block, you can actually look on Ethereum and you can go back all the way in time. You can look at the very first block that was mined on Ethereum. We call those Genesis blocks in the industry. But so you can actually look at each individual block and look at all of the transactions that that block contains. Maybe it'll say this address sent money to this address. Or it might say this address sent money to this contract and that contract has a different kind of address compared to like a wallet address. But yeah, it has all of that information on there. And that's one of another reason that we say that it's fully trustless and verifiable. If I say this happened, anyone else can go and look, say, oh, you know, Noah has this wallet that he says he owns and this wallet sent money nine years ago. Well, obviously it isn't nine years old, but you know, sent money two years ago to this specific address. Well, I can, I can fact check you and be like, well, no, cause look at this block that has your address. You didn't send it to this address. You sent it to this other one. And this other one did this other thing. And that did this other thing. So everything kind of points together. It's kind of like that Spider-Man meme of everyone saying like, ah, oh, no, it's you. It's like, ah, oh, no, it's me. Everyone's just kind of pointing at each other and you have all that, that data. This is why I like the term shared ledger. I feel like if you at least know what a, a ledger is, shared ledger is a pretty good way to, to get across that that idea you're just explaining there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Noah, for for all of all of this. This is really, really informational and useful. My last question would be, I'm a developer. I know, you know how to use a code editor. I know how to use the terminal, but I don't know anything about blockchain where should I go to get started? It sounds like your blog posts are a good place to go, but what are some other kind of resources or like, what should I be learning? Where should I be going? Like, how do I kind of direct myself in this direction? You know, if you're really looking for that kind of fundamental as to what a blockchain does, I think my article is a good place to start. But if you're kind of a web developer that wants to build applications on top of the blockchain, for one, I would say kudos to you. There needs to be more of those people. And should you decide to write something about it, you would be benefiting a lot of people because there are not as many resources as there should be. But you want to start looking at places like Binance has a course on kind of like how to build the blockchain. Um, I'll shout out a YouTuber as well. If you go to DAP University, he has quite a lot of tutorials on 
what it is to actually build a decentralized application, but you're essentially just taking all of your front-end skills as a web developer, and instead of making API calls, you make calls to the blockchain using these smart contracts that are coded in Solidity. So if I say that you want to build applications, you should look up how to write Solidity and learn that programming language and go from there. Because once you kind of have that foundation, you'll know better questions on what to ask because you'll be like, okay, well, maybe I can't look up how to build this from scratch or how to do this one specific thing. But once you start kind of narrowing down what it is that you need to search, just like in traditional web development, if you know the questions to ask, you'll have a lot better luck in finding what it is that you're looking for. The last thing I'll throw out is we actually have an Ethereum integration with Redwood. This is something that Patrick, one of our community members, has already totally built out, built out an Ethereum provider. He's written articles to explain how to use it. So if you're someone listening to this and you're a Redwood developer, which I would guess that some people are, then that's somewhere you can go, go right away to get started. And I think that's really cool. I would like to get Patrick on the show actually to, to talk about that. But why don't you go ahead and just let our listeners know where they can find you, where you reside online. Usually I'm on Twitter. You can find me at inhindev. You can also find me at inhind.dev if you want to email me. But other than that, that's you. you'll usually find me on Twitter. Um, and if you're on Discord, I'm, I'm in the React podcast Discord quite a bit. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Thank you all for having me. Man, if anyone listened to me like three years ago to buy all this shit, they'd be wealthy.